Blog Talk Radio. you. I am your cruise director, your host, and your groove mistress, Madam Perry. But you can call me Perry, Jen, Jennifer, JP. I don't care. I'm just glad that you're here, and I am too. And hey, um, we've had so much fun lately. Everybody loved Tony Green, um, Bo Shamari, the uh, artist and uh, writer. And not only that, that man's just a powerhouse. Um, with so many fun people on, the stats just shot up like crazy. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep having people like that and just thank you again so much. Also, if you're listening live tonight and you listen on Blog Talk Radio, and tonight is August 18, 2020, if you're not subscribing on Blog Talk Radio and you want to, there's a little rectangular box up there. Um, very deep pink in the south. I would call that an azalea pink with white letters that says follow. If you would, please click that and follow. Or just follow or subscribe, if you wish, on whatever podcast platform you enjoy listening to. Because when you follow, and also for the nice people that have uh, left different reviews about what they do like about the show or don't like or what they want to see more or less of, I appreciate that, and that helps me to continue to get excuse me, helps me to continue to get all the fantastic guests I've had, the people I've got coming up, and the person I've got tonight. And it's all because of you, so thank you so much. Now, let's see what else is coming up. A lot of the conventions and so forth we've been, everybody's looks forward, have been canceled, and I know that's a heartbreak for everybody. A lot of people have been putting together things on uh, social media sites, like virtual conventions, and doing the best they can just to kind of keep everybody connected because one thing is just plain fun and to get to be with so many creative people and spend time together, it just somehow revives the spirit to me, you know, like, special, well, especially when I go to Wild Wild West Con in, in Tucson in March, and hopefully that will be on next year. They haven't decided yet, and there's no word given, but... um my friend James Breen, who's the panel manager there, said, he said that was the last con that was open back in March. After that, everything was shutting down. And he said, wouldn't it be great if, it's the, uh, if it was the last one to shut down, it'll be the first one to open next year. I said, yeah, that would be fantastic. By the way, James Breen um, also figures very importantly as a, a part of tonight's show because it was he who first brought this magnificent, extraordinary woman to my attention. Uh, She's an artist, an author, and this woman has several gifts. And I'm just going to say, how do I begin? You know what, I think it's better if I just bring this lady in and let you meet her. She goes by many names, I think, Raven's daughter. Uh, She's an I think a lot of people probably call her goddess from what I can tell. But let me just go ahead and bring right here, for the very first time into the genie bottle at is Madame Perry Salon, I am delighted to welcome Erin Rado. Erin, come in, get comfortable, get a pillow, settle in. I, I see a pillow, it's got my name on it, and these are comfy couches. Good evening. Good evening to you. How have you been? I've been great. Wow, what an intro. I'm blushing. This is my first podcast appearance. Is it? Uh-huh. Well, I am glad. I'm glad that you are here. And uh, 
I think I see very many more in your future very soon. And you I know, hope now, so. I've got, is, I've got to share, and it's a fun place. <laughs> Good, because, you know, there's so many things. When people talk about adjusting to, you know, you know people, uh, you know, when, when we're set with, uh, um, well, when we're beset and besieged with setbacks and things we can't do, you know, we, we find another way. Um, where there's a will, there's a way, or as a friend of mine always says, where there's a will, there's a relative. But either way. We find a way to make things work, and that's why I think you know podcasts are going to be uh, are are exploding all over now because if we can't get out in person, we can get out in a podcast and meet new folks, and that's a wonderful thing. So I don't know, you know, you've got so much. I see your work, your um, your Celtic art, your Celtic art store, your labyrinths, your mandalas. Uh, there are so many things going on, but you know what? I would like to start. And this is what's so exciting about this. And I want you to have a good time because I got a feeling I'm going to need you to come back soon. We're not going to have enough time. So let's start, if we can. This is the first thing that James Bring called and brought to my attention is your novel. It's a fan, you're a fantasy action author. Yes. And, and I'd like to put a little differentiation between the classic fantasy, fantasy adventure, and my work, Fantasy Action, there's nothing wrong with the epic tales. They're wonderful. They keep us going. They speak to our heart and soul. But I kind of like to add a dash of cayenne pepper. Um, I just like to kick it up a little bit. I like to write about people. They happen to be in a fantasy setting, but I like to write about people and their conflicts, and my characters are far from normal. Many of them are well-adjusted, but just like us, they all have their hiccups, and some of them have some, some serious drawbacks that they have to work out. But you put all that in a story, and then you just add a little dash of spice, and then throw a few monkey wrenches into the plot when it zigs, I zag, and that's <laughs> the kind of style I like. Um, my, my novel's called Grey Warrior, and uh, in fact, um, uh, I... Uh, not that any of you out there have ever said, ever heard a friend say to you, hey, can you take a look at my work? I'm writing a novel. And you politely <laughs> grind the back of your teeth and go, sure, I'll take a look at it. Um, and um, and then you do your best to give them notes. I've been working with a wonderful editor, Mr. Pat Labruto. Uh, I, I hope it's okay that I mention his name on the podcast. Definitely. He's a book, well, I didn't clear it with him, not that I haven't pinged him a couple times on emails, but I think he's fine. Pat is a former editor of Bantam Books and Doubleday Books, and um, he's now an editor for hire, and you couldn't get anybody better. I mean, he knows what he likes, and he and I just have a wonderful synchro mesh going on. He gets my style, and he likes what he sees, and... I was able to surprise him with my plot line, and the man's been in publishing for 40 years. It's not exactly an easy thing to do to surprise an editor who is so well-heeled, but he enjoyed it, and um, uh, we now have the, uh, the final draft is, uh, is being um, uh, sent out to uh, literary professionals, um, although you can get a, a reading copy off uh, Amazon, you can buy a Kindle copy, which you can either read on your Kindle or read on the Kindle app, and then, of course, you can get a paperback. The book is only 83,000 words. You can chomp it down in a weekend. I promise it will not end the way you think it might, and um, you are, uh, uh, hopefully the people who like it just get to the end and go, i got to read that again, and, um, and, and that's, that's my book. It's, it's fun. Yeah, I think I think I was saying to you uh, before the before we started the show that it's the same problem I have with reading uh, Liana Renee Heber is that I, I love Liana's books, but the language and and her wording and her writing is so beautiful. I want to keep reading the same paragraphs over and over and just caressing that sentence in my brain, just like I do with yours. And I'm thinking I could have been further along. I'm a speed reader, but this is just so beautiful. But anyway, well, let's get. Um, well, for, let me make an announcement right now. For anyone listening live tonight, if you would like to speak to Erin, if you would like to talk to her, ask her a question, make a comment, uh, not only about her books but about her art, 
and, uh, and it's a very powerful hour, too. Uh, you can give us a call at 646-716-9922. That's 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Or for people who, for whatever reason, can't make a phone call, uh, you can always send me the message on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Maudette Perry. And you know what? Aaron, if you would do me a favor. Yeah. If you would reach over to your left and just open to my the beaded curtain. To your left and oh. open the beaded curtain. You see the little beaded? Absolutely. That beaded. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the very 60s style here in my Moroccan decor. If you would just part that okay. beaded. I'm with you. Beaded. Yeah, just like that, and let this wonderful person come in who's a friend of the show. Hi, welcome back to Madam Perry Salon. Hello, hello, hello. Raven, you are really lucky that I actually put down the book to call in. I almost <laughs> forgot. And then I get a beep on my phone. And it's like, oh, Christ, got a call. <laughs> well, so I, I regretfully put it down so I could call you. <laughs> is this my friend James? This most certainly is, my dear. James, James we were just talking about you. We were just mentioned you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm, you know, just an unforgettable person. What can I say? <laughs> James, I'm not crazy. always you know rememberable for good reasons, but you know, hey, we're not all. We can't be perfect. <laughs> James, I want to thank you so much for your support. This is. I've been working on, and we've been talking about my art, and I'll speak to that in a minute. My art has been my focus for 10 years, and my writing has been my passion for over 30. And <laughs> But writing doesn't always pay the bills, as I'm sure many an author out there will tell you. And um, only in this last uh, couple of years have I really knuckled down on the book and gotten it to where it needs to be, but... Uh, James, you've been a great friend uh, on Facebook. Thank you for all your support. It's always, oh. always nice to be in my camp. Oh, of course. It, I mean, it was your art that you know drew me to you first, and then you know I found out about the book. You actually sent me an advanced copy, um, proofread copy, like a couple years ago of the first couple chapters. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I had actually already been familiar, and I was like, okay, I need to – Read this. Come on, Aaron. Hurry up. Hurry up. Get it done. Come on. <laughs> and now it's done. And now when, you know, the next book in the series comes out, um, yeah, what we did this time, you know, that nice little pre-edited author's copy signed. Yeah, I need that again. I think I have to do that with every book through the series and just have that author's, you know, edition signed right off the bat and just have the whole collection like that. All I can say is from your mouth to the publisher's ears. Did you hear him, everybody? He said series. I've got one book done. <laughs> series. That would be great. Yes, saga. Yes. That's where. Um, I never write a trilogy. I know everybody in fantasy thinks you have to write a trilogy. No, you don't. Because publishers are not going to buy a trilogy unless it's absolutely amazing. Write one book no, that and, has yep. potential to be a series or a saga. And then if they pick yep. you up. You know, you well, and um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Robert Jordan, he actually, before he died, he had talked about that mm-hmm. and how, you know, when he started Wheel of Time series, he actually got a lot of criticism from other authors and from friends of his because he told them flat out, this is not going to be a trilogy, you know, yeah. and uh, he's like, this isn't going to be the Lord of the Rings, you know, this is, this is going to be a long series. It turned out to be 14 books. <laughs> 14 very long books. Yes, indeed. Yeah, fourteen very long books, and it's one, and it's still, you know, is one of the most widely read fantasy series in the world. <laughs> I'll see if I can give him a run for his money. I like creating. Yeah, please a world. do. Thank you. I like creating worlds where people can explore, but it's the people that are key to this. And and you're reading my book, and um, Madam Perry has read my book, and I hope that you're all experiencing these people. And as I said, they're. They're a little bit messed up, but aren't we all? Um, oh, oh, yeah, they are. Oh my God, I've I've already figured out, you know, a few quirks on, uh, well, four of the main so far. It's really <laughs> uh, uh, just for you, me, and the lamppost, and everybody else who's listening. James, how far have you gotten? Because you just started it. Uh, I'm on. I'm 
uh, getting towards the end of Chapter 4 right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then there's a huge spoiler in 5 that I will not tell you about, but you might hate my guts a little bit after Chapter 5. That's kind of my goal. Um, just okay. fair warning. Actually, I haven't, I haven't got to Chapter 5 either, and so I know ah. you've got this big warning, so it puts a lot of pressure on me. I don't know. I don't know, Aaron. That's what you said, and I just said it to James, but... Just, just enjoy <laughs> We'll um, see how we get. Uh, is it okay if I uh, pull back another uh, beautiful beaded curtain and talk about my art? Of course. Well, I would like to share with everyone what I do. It's kind of ironic or a little tricky to be an artist on a podcast because I can't show you everything. But I started um, about ten years ago at the Southern California Renaissance Festival, uh, just sketching Celtic art, and Celtic art is fun stuff, you know, under, over, weave the pattern, but being me, I tended to get a little twisted, and pun intended, um, and uh, I started creating pathways within my art that turned out to be mandala pathways. In other words, when you trace them, even though the pattern weaves under, over, if you just trace along the ribbon, you know, like you're driving on the road, you go over a bridge or under a bridge, you think of that, just trace along the ribbon. Sure enough, I was able to affect human cognition. In short, I trick people into meditating. And I can trick them into meditating in about 30 or 40 seconds. And I would see people at Renaissance fairs where there's so much stimulation with all the actors in the streets and everything really begin to calm down as they were tracing my work. And that kept happening over and over and over. And I'm like, okay, something's going on here. I have no idea what it is. So the moment that was really pivotal for me was I think the first year I was doing, first or second year I was doing it, a gentleman comes right up to my table. Boom, I had this tiny little table, didn't have a booth yet. And um, he says, my wife sent me here to see you. My son has Asperger's and we bought him your Celtic wolf design, and by the way, everybody, there's a link in, um, in the description of the website, my name, Erin Rado. It takes you right over to my website, which is CelticArtStore.net, and my Celtic wolf is right on, the, right on the top of the homepage. My son traces that wolf whenever he is upset. He will sit in his room for hours and trace and trace until he doesn't feel upset anymore. He looks me right in the eye and says, you don't know this, but you helped my son. <laughs> and, oh my. and it took us away. I mean, what do you say to something like that? Yeah. And, and even though it was a one-hour trip one way, the wife sent him back to pay admission to come into the festival to see me specifically to buy some more designs. I put them on um, uh, hard plastic plates so they're durable for tracing. Well, I really did know nothing about, I, I mean, I, I knew very, very little about um, uh, autism, spectrum, anything. But I made a point to learn. And I thought, I mean, it would be completely irresponsible to make a claim like, hey, this helps with, I couldn't do that. That's not ethical. But I thought, huh, I wonder if, because that's the, that's the true statement of science, I wonder if, mm-hmm. if it helps one child who's on the spectrum, could that happen again? And sure enough, it did a lot. And um, it helped people, my work helped people with stress and anxiety disorders. I've worked with, oh my goodness, I've worked with vets in full PTSD trigger. I've worked with uh, tens of thousands of people doing Renaissance fairs around the country. And then I started uh, showing my art at professional conferences um, uh, school counseling, um, uh, uh, educational, marriage and family therapy, uh, art therapy. I meet so many therapists and, and educators at Ren Fairs because they like to come out. I don't know that they have a Ph.D., but they're watching me to see if there's validity behind the things I say. I even got into the American Psychological Association conference two years ago when it was in San Francisco. And it's as simple as focusing the hand-to-eye coordination on an unfamiliar pattern. It's not frustrating. It's just unfamiliar. You have to pay attention to it. And then mm-hmm. here's the magic sauce. I have everybody switch to their non-dominant hand to trace. 
And you might think that's impossible, I can never do it, but it's actually really easy. Make a figure eight with your index finger on a table. Just make a figure eight and then do it with your other hand. It's easy to do and it works a whole different part of the brain. And in that moment where you switch, you cross hemispheres from one side of the brain crossing over the midline to the other, every other thought you had just shuts off like you're flicking a switch and you're focused only on making a figure eight on the table. And all the noise, all the pressure, all the stress, your brain just tuned it out for a second. And that's the magic moment when you can reset. And the brain will reset if given a chance. So that's the art that I created. And then once my Celtic collection was complete, I have some simple designs, some slightly complex designs, and some very complex designs. Take a look on my web store for my Celtic Phoenix, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Then I started making a study of the classic labyrinths that you see in churches and cathedrals. They're very famous labyrinths, but there are some that are lesser known as well. There's even a Native American labyrinth that um, actually comes from the, from the, I hope I pronounce it correctly, the uh, uh, Ta'ana Ohotam Nation. Again, forgive me if I got that wrong. But they're based in Tucson. So there you go, James. You may have seen... It's also called the Man in the Maze, is the Native American labyrinth. Um, but I started uh, uh, creating travel cards, workbooks, and uh, uh, these are all used by uh, people who would love to walk a labyrinth but can never get to one. You can walk it with your fingertip. So between Celtic work and labyrinth work, that has been the bulk of my mindfulness art. And I also write fantasy action. Yay! Well, yeah, there's such a wide range of people or situations that you've helped or that, that have. And, and like you said, you know, you didn't, you didn't start promoting it in this way. Someone came to you and said, this yep. really helped our son. And, mm-hmm. It um, was a total fun. One of my most successful conferences is um, EMDR. That's Eye Motion Desensitization and Reprocessing. Mm-hmm. A therapist will use little hand gestures to get people moving their eyes from left to right, left to right, like you do when you're in REM. And mm-hmm. when, the, when the mind is in REM, rapid eye movement, the mind is processing. When you can recreate that state in a conscious brain, a counselor or a therapist can help you through um, the moments that you're trying to process. Well, my work lends itself beautifully to visual tactile integration because you're tracing a twisting line, and my work was also a stumble upon, as was the whole concept behind um, EMDR and Dr. Uh, Francine Shapiro. And they just loved me at that conference. And, and one, <laughs> uh, one of my uh, uh, fans, I guess she technically is, uh, Dr. Catherine Harris, um, uh, met me at the Ren Fair, and she even wrote protocols to use my work with EMDR. And um, I have to get those back up on the website. But there is actually on my website a brain mapping case study of a woman who's on the spectrum with severe anxiety disorder. And in three minutes of watching the, um, uh, you take, uh, he has pictures of her brain. You can see it, the brainwave activity physically change at the 90 second mark and at the three minute mark. And um, it's just neat being able to trick people, tricking people into a timeout, as I like to say, or as, as my slogan is, Helping the world calm down one brain at a time. One brain at a time. I like that. You know, there's a couple of things I'm going to ask you um, to talk about, and, and I'm going to just give you a few at a time. You just go at your own pace. One, bet, you bet. what is, because this is something I only know from you, I guess you created it. What is a Celtic art mandolin? And I'm a also going to ask, oh, yeah, yeah and, right. and from there, I'm also going to ask you about um, not only do I want people to go to the website and see the different categories of of, of issues that, that these mandalas have helped, and it's like ADHD management, anger, anxiety, PTSD, autism management, just a, a, a big list of things, and which is, you know, what could be better for the world if we could help with art instead of, uh, I mean, medication can be very, very good and very helpful, but if there's an alternative, you know, don't we want it? If it works, 
But also there's a situation uh, I'm going to ask you to, to tell us after you explain the mandolin. I want you to talk to us about um, something that you've been asked to do in conjunction with a memorial book at an Episcopal church in Texas. So start absolutely. with your... I'm, I'm absolutely happy. To, I hope she's listening, too, and I'll get to that in a second. Mandolin. Well, that's really simple. I needed to call my work something. Originally, I called it Celtic art therapy, but it's not art therapy. Art therapy is where you create art for therapeutic purposes. Tracing art that I've already created, that really isn't art therapy. I wanted to focus on Celtic art, for therapy, but Celtic art therapy just didn't work. So I needed a I needed a name. I needed something interesting. So my work is a mandala, but you trace it like a labyrinth. So it was either mandolinth or labradala, and everybody said labradala sounded like a dog's name. <laughs> or so dog or something. Sounds like a labradoodle. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I went with mandolins, and I trademarked that. And, and But my work is a mandala. Again, you, you trace it like you're walking a labyrinth. So that was how I put them together. Basically, it's a focus tool. Focus is the key. With, with stress, with anxiety, where the brain is just looping on itself like it's, you know, on a treadmill. Um, when we're dealing with trigger anxiety, where boom, something hits, and bang, you're in fight or flight. It's, it's an overload of electrical stimulation in the brain. The brain just can't quite cope. It's just coming in so fast that you can't get a grip. If you have a way to help yourself pull back from all that incredible frenetic energy, if there's a way to pull back, you can get a grip. But, but when you're in the middle of a brain overload, and also with ADHD, where the signal processing is becoming too much. Same with autism. There's just too much signal and noise. But if you can pull back, tracing helps you to pull back because you're activating two of our key senses, sight and touch. You can also hum. You can also um, make a, 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 you can, uh, recite a mantra that involves your vocal cords. That's great. But uh, sight and touch, when you put those two in tandem, you really get the brain focused on a single activity. And then when the pathways are a little unpredictable, like my Celtic ones are, you have to stop analyzing what you're doing and you just follow along with where you're going. When you take the brain out of analysis and into observance, you're not trying to solve a puzzle, you're just walking along for the journey. You're just along for the ride the brain can reset, the signal can drop, and that's another reason why I have everybody trace with a non-dominant hand because that really is an excellent signal interrupt. In, fra- in fact, it's um, a technique I show uh, trauma therapists. Just as simple, do something with the other hand. We usually don't because it's frustrating, but tracing is actually really simple. And here's the trick. You're not moving your hand when you trace. You move your arm when you trace, but you're not moving the fingers. It doesn't require fine motor dexterity. So to segue on to the other um, wonderful memorial book, um, uh, uh, Catherine Bachman is associated with uh, St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Kerrville, Texas. And I'm not sure how she found me. I think it was on my website. She was doing a search for labyrinth and labyrinth art and found me. And again, everybody, the website, Celtic Art Store dot net and here's an easy way to remember it where else are you going to buy celtic art you buy it at a celtic art store dot net so um uh, uh cynthia bought um uh some of my, i i do labyrinth pillows um i even started just designing these really beautiful labyrinth face masks because i figure as long as we all have to wear face masks we may as, may as well make a designer statement out of it um, but uh, she bought uh, my workbooks, and these were um, for her colleagues, for her friends. The, their church has a labyrinth done in the style of the Chartres Cathedral Labyrinth in France, um, which is the most reproduced labyrinth in the world. And so as we got to talking, Cynthia and I, she mentioned that this year, in fact, next month, September, is the 20-year anniversary and rededication of the labyrinth 
at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Kerrville, Texas. And I suggested um, a little while back that why don't we do a memorial book? And she loved the idea, and so I interviewed um, the lady who built the labyrinth, and um, uh, I got on, I got in all these wonderful little newspaper clippings and other tidbits that were from years ago. The the um, and the whole uh, labyrinth came around uh, because of the uh, the uh, wonderful millennial labyrinth walk, where people mm-hmm. around the world on Millennium Midnight, would walk a labyrinth for universal peace. Right, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this booklet came together, and it's been just such a, a one. we're almost finished with it. It goes to press tomorrow, and then they have their labyrinth rededication ceremony uh, next month. And, um, uh, and so uh, that's, uh, Kerrville is spelled K-E-R-R-V-I-L-L-E, Kerrville, Texas, and um, and that is uh, the labyrinth there, and anyone can come and walk the labyrinth, um, and if you've never walked a labyrinth, I mean, boy, that just takes you into a whole different time and place, so to speak. I don't think speak. I have. Have you, James? Have you walked a labyrinth? Have I what? Walked oh, a yeah. labyrinth. Oh, yeah, you several. Have? I should have known. I used Where? to spend my summers in the UK as a kid. They're everywhere out there. They are everywhere out there. There's a wonderful London, or- Scotland, all over the place. <laughs> There's a wonderful organization called the Labyrinth Society, and I believe that's also .org, and they have a labyrinth locator on their website. And so you can find labyrinths anywhere in the world because they keep track of these things. If there's a labyrinth near you, whether it, it's um, in a church or um, uh, in a garden or uh, uh, some hospitals have labyrinths on their campuses, things like that, the labyrinth locator will tell you where it is. And in many cases, you can just go and go walk. I think one of the prettiest labyrinth settings I've ever seen, just for me pretty, is right on the peninsula in San Francisco. It's on the sand Oceanside, it's right there, surf and turf kind of thing, and you can see the Golden Gate Bridge from the labyrinth. So that it, one's there was a the there was actually a labyrinth at the hotel that we were at for the convention, Ms. Perry. <laughs> oh, was there? It was just a little one. It was nothing big, but there's a there is a pretty decent sized one not far from the hotel. One of the goals I've had with my art is to make labyrinths really well-known in the mainstream. Many of us have heard of a labyrinth, but just even like with with you two, Perry, uh, you haven't walked one, James has. You've heard of them, but maybe you've never been there. Well, you can get a packet of my travel cards for ten ninety-five, put them in your bag, because they only measure five by seven inches, and now you've got a labyrinth you can take with you everywhere you go. Um, and uh, schools can use these and, and do, I might add. Uh, I do workbooks and activity pages. I'm on the site um, Teachers Pay Teachers, where you can download uh, my digital labyrinth packs for $3.95. You can get those on Etsy, too, uh, and on my website as well. But I want to introduce everybody to mindfulness. I want it mindfulness made easy. Because mindfulness doesn't have to be difficult. Some people think, oh, I don't have the time for meditation. I don't have the time for <laughs> yoga. You know, but if you can become mindful in two minutes, mm. well, that's a wonderful time out. You know, hey, put a labyrinth card on me, your desk. People will think it's a mouse pad. You know, they don't know. Let me let me give let me take just a moment here just to say, first of all, if you're listening live tonight and, and I'm on the air with Erin Rado, um, and the number to call in if you want to talk to her, ask her a question, anything, and we'll learn more about her work. And of course, I'm sharing all, um, I'm sharing links and her social media on all of my social media as well, so that you can find her. And um, but yeah, you can give her a call at six four six seven one six nine nine two two. And if you can't make a call, you could always send me a message on Facebook as Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Perry. And 
one thing I want to ask too. Now, just to stop for a moment, we're talking about labyrinths, and so what I hear you saying when you're talking about the travel cards and your workbooks and such, that means Mm -hmm. that if we can't, if we didn't have, um, if we don't have as cool a childhood as James Breen to where we could go to the UK every (laughs) year and walk absolute live labyrinths. James, you amaze me more and more and more every time I talk to you. But if you can't go to a labyrinth or if you um if you're like me, you're close to one and don't even know it, you're saying that you've got uh, now let me make this clear. Aaron, I'm here, you can yeah. give us, in a sense, labyrinths to go. That's exactly what I do. My All travel right. cards they come in two two um uh counts a 10 count pack and a 21 count pack what i've done in my in my study of labyrinth art mind you the study of walking the labyrinth there's that is a very advanced study i study the art of the labyrinth and i'm i'm also always working on my education of labyrinths i wanted to make them every day mindfulness on the go a labyrinth in your pocket exactly what I was trying to do. So I made a study of world labyrinths, and as James told you, they're all over the place. But they're in several different shapes. There's a few different pathways. Some are ancient, and some are um, uh, date to the medieval era. And then I started playing around with some of the ancient labyrinths and recreating them. So I took, a, a for example, the, the best-known labyrinth in the world is the one if you saw it, you'd know it in a heartbeat. It's the Chartres Labyrinth. It's in Chartres Cathedral. It's in the floor of the cathedral in France. It's also in the floor of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco and in many other places. In fact, the, uh, as I was saying, the Labyrinth in St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Kerrville, Texas, that's also a Chartres Labyrinth. Well, I took out some of the, you, you would call them the rings of the labyrinth, but they're called circuits. I I took out a few, rewove it, and made a simple version of it. And that's something that a three-year-old can trace or a four-year-old can trace. And I've sold to a lot of pre-K educators. So taking some of the very complex labyrinths and simplifying them, well, that means you can start a child as, you know, as as long as they can point, they can trace. If, if, Mm -hmm. you know, they're two, they don't necessarily have a lot of permanency in their thought process there too, but you can guide their hand. But once they start tracking at three and four, well, I've seen, I've seen three-year-olds work on my tools at a Ren fair all the time. I never hesitate to engage a child because the sooner you do that, the sooner you teach them behavioral management. And that's a skill that will last them the rest of their lives. And so labyrinths are one way to do it. My Celtic art is another way to do it. Labyrinths are just a little bit more familiar. My Celtic art people look at it and go, oh, that's pretty. What do I do with it? <laughs> do I just look at it or what? No, you trace it. There's an education curve. But with uh, labyrinths, everybody kind of knows, oh, I, I go in. It's a maze, right? <clears throat> and a labyrinth is a maze with only one path. There are no tricks. There are no puzzles. There are no dead ends. You just follow along, whether it's with your fingertip on a finger labyrinth or walk which is an amazing experience with your whole mind and body into it, you get to the center, you take a breath and reflect, and then you walk back out again, leaving your cares in the center of the labyrinth. And that is how to use one. It's the breath in the middle mm. that really is the key. When I'm working with little kids, they race because, you know, <laughs> children are competitive, go figure. <clears throat> and they race to the center and go, done. I say, no, no, take a breath. Now, trace back out. When they take that breath, you should watch the physical change that comes over that child's body. All the tension leaves. All that intensity in their face just melts. And they've just experienced the first hint of meditation. It's really neat. I've had parents email me and say, that was the quietest car ride home ever. How did you do that? (laughs) That's that's amazing. I had one mother, it, it, uh, uh, really quick, because I hope we have some time to talk about my novel, because that's where the spice comes in. But this one, I, I have 10 years of anecdotes, but this child, little boy, <clears throat> 10, he would not 
stop shifting weight back and forth, back and forth, one foot to another, side to side, side to side, bouncy, 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 bouncy. It was very obvious that this young mother, I'm guessing she was in her late 20s, early 30s, really had trouble managing this child. And I could just see all the energy in this kid, (laughs) and I got him Mm -hmm. tracing. And he was one of those smart, snarky ones. I love engaging children like that. You know, like the sarcastic seven-year-olds who talk back to you, this is easy, I can do this. And that's when I hit him, okay, use your other hand. And they stop. Every, every bit of snarky stops right then, and then they do use their other hand. And then, of course, that shuts off all that signal ratio that I was talking about. It also shuts off the snarkiness, and then they relax. As the child began to trace, he stopped shifting his weight slowly, like, like, a, like the end of the roller coaster ride where you slowly glide mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. into the loading station, and then he stopped. And he just kept tracing. No, and, the, and the mother is watching this. She is actually getting emotional. She said, oh, my God, he's not that quiet when he sleeps. And the, I'm just engaging the Aww. child. And she goes and gets her mother and her sister. I'm working with this kiddo. I have him steady for 15 minutes. He didn't want to stop. And it was a really emotional moment for them all. And it was just so simple. And that's the neat thing. Sometimes the simplest solutions are the most effective, but we just don't know about them. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really my goal is to make mindfulness commonplace. Because wouldn't that be neat if everyone says, excuse me, I need to be mindful for a minute. Go away. <laughs> yeah, especially um, it's something James and I kind of talk about a little bit on social media, especially people now whose tempers just flare in public. Yep. Well, it's you a don't trigger, talk to James? <laughs> yep. But uh, real quick here, I've got to get going because I have things okay. I must do. Um, hey, thanks but, for Aaron, in. I really, really, really would love to see you out at Wild Wild West Con. Um, your mandalas, you know, there's a lot of things that would just fit so well. Mm-hmm. And we really need to have you out there as a panelist and, you know, set you up out there with the authors as well, you know, so... You know, we need to start talking about this and getting this figured out. Madam Perry can to... tell you. Madam Perry can tell you. I make it, I make it worth your while. <laughs> yes, Aaron, and it is a warm group. I go there alone, and I'm not alone. It is a very warm and friendly group. So. Well, I also wanted to tell uh, you and James, um, I've, I've submitted an application to the Arizona Renaissance Festival to bring out a new, um, I'm starting to print labyrinths on advertising banner vinyl. So they're 16 feet in square. You can walk them. And I want to set up a labyrinth demonstration so people can come to the Ren Fair to walk the labyrinth. I'm sure that I could do that for Wild West Con, too. Uh, uh, just uh, uh, unroll a labyrinth and let everybody come and walk in the dealer room. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, I All will right. speak with you both very soon, I am sure. Thank you, James. And I'm going to go and start getting dinner going. So. Thank you, James. Okay. I adore you. Okay. Yeah, have a great night, you two. And tell your lovely wife hello from the madam. Yeah, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. He was one of those <laughs> was talking about. Yes, I am. Yes, you will, yeah. <laughs> always have and always will be. Deal with it. Hey, James. <laughs> James, I'm going to uh, let you go. James, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. I'm going to let you go yeah, with the yeah, title uh, of a music, of a, of a Broadway play that I've never seen, but I love the title, and it is this. I told you I love you, now get out. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, James. Bye. Bye, sweetie. <laughs> He is so I'm much sure he fun. And I will be talking. <laughs> he is so much fun. <laughs> he is adorable. Well, uh, I'd love to open for uh, questions. Um, when talking about writing, I would love to talk about uh, talk about the craft of writing and characterizations and messing up characters' lives so that the reader really enjoys that. Um, uh, that's the 
that's the part that I love about writing is helping other people develop. But if anybody wants to talk about mindfulness or has a question about the applications of my work, I'm certainly up for talking about that. That's what I've been doing for the last 10 years and really loving every minute of it. So tell me, how do how do you put your characters into aggravating situations? You know, last night, um, my husband and I were watching the Carol Burnett show rerun, mm-hmm. and it's one in which Harvey Corman is a writer sitting at his desk, and he's trying to write these scenes, and he's changing them. But off in a corner of the, of the screen, um, like while he's writing about so-and-so climbed aboard the sh- aboard the boat and Carol uh-huh. and you know Carol Crom's aboard and he's talking about what happened and then and then Larry's on the boat and she pulls in Larry. No, not this time. Larry's not on the boat, so she shoves him out. So here's the author, author creating characters at his typewriter but the actors are down there working it out and they're starting to look a little ticked off at the writer. Mm-hmm. So so I got it I Watch that, and then I thought about you thinking, like, you know, you put them in situations, and then you turn around and put them in more uncomfortable situations. <laughs> it sounded... <laughs> the trick is getting them out of those. That's... The trick is getting them into trouble is really easy. Getting them out of trouble, that's not always so easy. The way um, I like to break the mold is simple. What everybody is expecting me to do, I just do the exact opposite. If everybody is expecting me to have a character, uh, oh, I don't know, walk into a tavern. By the way, I don't do tavern scenes. I don't do dragons. I don't do unicorns. I don't do zombies. We have enough people doing those. They're like the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. Sorry, (laughs) my cup of things. Um, It takes a lot of energy to make an old trope original. Mm -hmm. And so the way to do it is just when you think you're going to go into – the let's I, this is one of my favorite. Let's just do a tavern. Okay, what do I name the tavern? Should it be the Royal Oak? Should it be? Okay, um, I'm just gonna say it. No, it should be Annie's Breasts. That's the name of the tavern. The name of the tavern is Annie's Teats, and I'll tell you why the name of the tavern is Annie's Teats. Because Annie's brother won it from Annie in a card game, and he is letting the entire village know that he has beaten his sister by winning the tavern. That's enough of a backstory to get your characters into trouble. Because when your characters walk into a tavern like that and they ask aloud, why is this place called this? You can imagine everybody hushed like, oh, God, don't go there. Don't ask that question because someone will answer it. Now your characters are in a situation where they have inadvertently created conflict, which could easily lead to a bar fight really, really fast. <laughs> and um, or or uh, you know a charm again anecdote, but you've just created a scene that has multiple possibilities. Just by instead of calling it something normal, calling it something completely out in left field, writing a little backstory to it. Um, you know when you have uh, uh, when you have a magic or you have a spell or you have a situation, whatever's normal, just do something else. Keep Keep all the mechanizations. If it's magic, keep using magic, but have the spell backfire deliberately. You know, have a character threaten with a magic wand. I'm going to kill you with this magic wand. Give up the thing that I want. And the and then the character, I'll kill myself first. And then, you know, they sort of do. And then you realize the magic wand was a complete bluff. And now, you know, someone's killed themselves without any cause to. Well, well, doggone it. They didn't have to die. And if it's the main character, you don't want them to die, you know, have them seriously wound themselves or something like that. But it's the reveal Aaron, of what? the moment. It's, you know, I was yeah. bluffing. It wasn't a real magic wand. I didn't mean to go for, you know, just do something different. You know, pull a surprise, like a punchline at the end of the scene. Um, anyone who's ever uh, tried screenwriting will have heard the famous phrase, conflict is drama. Put the characters into conflict and you've got drama. Well, conflict is also comedy. You just put the characters in an uncomfortable situation and let the characters figure it out for themselves. Nothing is worse than to see the heavy hand of a writer coming in to rescue the characters. Get the characters into trouble and let the characters figure it out. What, what 
what were some of your favorite writers as growing up, and what writers have taught you the most as you read their work? And I'm talking for good or for bad. For bad, you may not want to name them, but you always hear I'm, that to be a good writer, you should read. So, what did uh, you learn? Um, there's there's no one way to answer that because everybody has their preferences. Of course, I've read Lord of the Rings. Everybody's read Tolkien. That got us all started off on 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 our fantasy journey, but um, for me, it's a combination of books and media. I was 12 years old when the first Star Wars came out. Well, that's a highly impressionable age for an awkward, you know, middle schooler. <laughs> and I was. <laughs> and D&D was just on the, just making its uh, uh, debut. And to uh, a person like me, whose mother was always saying, oh, Erin, you live in a fantasy world. You know, she never quite could understand that. When Lord of the Rings finally came out as a movie, I said, yeah, and it looks exactly like that. Um, (laughs) At least she had a frame of reference. Um, I actually, one of my favorite books is The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. Now, Tom does tend to overwrite things at times, but my gosh, when Tom is taking you on a a story within a story, uh, uh, The Right Stuff, Chapter 3, is simply entitled Jaeger. And, of course, it's going to be talking about Chuck Yeager and breaking the sound barrier. But that's not how he starts it. He starts off talking about um, the airline pilot coming over the intercom to telling you, our landing gear might not have deployed, but the voice is so calm. And then he spins it into, that was the voice of Chuck Yeager. I love Tom Wolfe. So uh, that Mm -hmm. is absolutely one of my favorites. But I also like reading biographies, too. Um, A couple good ones that no one has ever heard of on uh, by the author, uh, Queen Victoria and uh, Peter the Great. One of my favorite historical characters was uh, Admiral Lord Nelson. Talk about a yeah. little pain in the ass, which he was. <laughs> Brilliant commander, but a terrible subordinate. Um, and so uh, I had fun with my uh, with my book on uh, Nelson. Um, and then, oh, you know, uh, just nothing else is really coming to mind with some of my favorites. I'm not nearly as well-read as I should be. I will freely admit that. Um, but anytime there's a hint of uh, action to it, I'm always drawn to it. I found even these little short stories called The Revenge of Senorita Scorpion, written by mm-hmm. Les Savage Jr. And um, these were like dime store novel kind of you know, short stories. Short stories make for really good writing. Everybody out there who's writing should practice your short fiction. We always say uh, Edgar Allan Poe is the master of the short story because mm-hmm, he really yeah. could work the format. But I'll give you a little hint. Some of the best short stories make the best movies. Um, uh, and um, uh, a novel is difficult to adapt to a screenplay, but short stories are much easier. So if you really work on your short stories, maybe you'll have an anthology published one of these days, and you'll end up like, oh, I don't know, Phil K. Dick when he's doing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which got made into Blade Runner, and we can remember it for you wholesale, which became Total Recall. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place when it comes to my influences in, in uh, reading, uh, but um, that's, that's part of what makes it fun is pulling from different sources and oh. just sort of letting it melt in the gumbo pot that is my brain. And that seems to be uh, one of your, as we say these days, one of your superpowers, you know, that just makes your work more extraordinary. I love biographies, too, and memoirs. And since you've read a lot, though, as you said, about Queen Victoria or uh, uh, and Lord Nelson, let me ask you this. Um, yep. Then you must enjoy it when, if you've ever watched shows like Blackadder and such, when they make little cracks about Lord Nelson or Lady Hamilton or something in there. Because sure. Because of your reading, you know, you get all the jokes. They're like little inside jokes amongst the uh, characters on a show like that. Well, that and, you know, even just, I'm trying to, again, my, my very mundane mom is in love with the Big Bang Theory, which cracks me up because I'm the geek. I actually get the jokes. <laughs> my mother doesn't get the jokes. She doesn't know that when they talk about the Green Lantern movie or something like that, she doesn't get the jokes. And I'm here giggling myself silly. But, um, yeah, I always love uh, historical uh, jokes uh, thrown in there, Uh, especially I love also being in the company of other people who understand them, and we don't have to dumb the joke down. 
we just enjoy it for what it is, that's when you really have a good time. Yeah, that's what like. Did you ever watch uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000? Long ago, but I'm going to hit you with one that's even worse. Johnny Sacco and Giant Robot. And those were some of the old stuff coming out of Japan that was badly dubbed for the American market. And, um, and of course, it's the classic Tokyo Studios man in a rubber suit squashing a model city of, you know, Japan. Um, but some of that stuff just impressed upon me. And i got to say, I'm looking at my full-on collector's set of the Speed Racer uh, anime series. And um, it was just some of that early anime action. Anime was always really fun because that pushed the envelope to a character getting electrocuted and knocked out or, you know, uh, all sorts of things that they would push the boundary. Mind you, I'm a big Disney fan as well uh, for the art of Disney. Um, Two of my favorite films are uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, because that was really not a, a child's movie. That was profound, to me anyway. And the art was a study of architecture and all the hand drawing. Uh, just amazing when you're uh, looking up at the rose window in the cathedral. It's all hand drawn, and yet it's a perfect aspect shot, as though your head is looking straight up. And um, uh, one other, where else was I going to go with uh with Disney, uh, it, it absolutely the other one escapes me. Um, but uh, Hunchback is absolutely one of my one of my favorite favorite ones. Again, for the study of art, but it's mm-hmm. it's the story that really has to hook me. How to Train Your yeah. Dragon had me in a heartbeat uh, because it had a sarcastic opening. Anything that opens that sarcastically, I'm going to stay with for two hours, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I was thinking of uh, Joel Hodgson, one of the uh, originators of. Uh, uh, MST3K because he said, you know, there used to be the the old rule in in comedy writing for television, you know, well the little old lady in Dubuque get it, and he said we our theory was the right people will get it. We don't yeah. care about somebody somewhere else. The right people get it, and I think that's that's what you're espousing. The right people get it. You don't have to write or dumb it down. You do if you're going for broad appeal, but Seinfeld certainly didn't follow that model. They they wrote what they wanted. I don't even think uh, J.K. Rollins, Rollins tried to follow any model with Harry Potter. She just let the inspiration go. Um, I know that I've been influenced by all sorts of uh, uh, books and media with my work. Uh, Gray Warrior, again, is the book. By the way, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, two ninety nine for a Kindle. That's not a lot to spend, and you will enjoy it, hopefully. And um, uh, just, again, let it all mash. Let it all squish together in your brain. And if, if the scene isn't working, go for a walk. Don't force it. Come back two days later. Um, that's, uh, I like to let it percolate. Yeah, I like to let it percolate. Let villains be villains. Let heroes be heroes. But not because they're villains or heroes. It's just who they are and what they do. I think one of the best lines from Interview with a Vampire is Lestat saying, evil is a point of view. Oh, I've forgotten about that one, yeah. Well, Aaron, it's, it's so good to have you here. And I, can't, I told you the time would go away too fast. And by the way, for everyone listening, remember, I will have the uh, links to get Aaron, to uh, find uh, Aaron Rado's work on my social media, uh, on Twitter and yeah, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, as Jennifer Perry and as Madam Perry Salon. To get the book, Gray Warrior. Gray Warrior, believe me. If you're looking for something fresh and you're looking for some story that was going to really take you in and grab you and probably not let you go. Uh, that's it, the feeling I'm getting won't. so far. And like a good roller coaster, it has some pretty intense twists at the end. Uh, but I promise, even though I put the reader through the ringer, and I do. It has a good ending. It, I, I promise I'll let you down in a good place. And I also have a, a Facebook page and a, a member group, Gray Warrior Novel. Uh, and um, uh, that's just, you should be able to search for that. But you can also get the links CelticArtStore.net. Gray Warrior Novel is right on the top menu bar. And there are links to the Facebook pages there. 
I'm happy to have anybody pick my brain on writing. I'm always uh-huh. happy to offer critiques and suggestions. Um, I'm always available to uh, to chat with folks because I like helping other people develop their work as well. And um, the worst kind of critique you can ever get is, I liked it. <laughs> That's not very helpful. You might as well say you hated it. Give me more yeah. details, man. <laughs> what about it did you like? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.